Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, a slight tangent, the crappy quiz, and you had to be there. Five goals in 20 minutes. It's just, you can't do that. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. You know, that wasn't an all-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second-half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance was just lacked that intensity. Uh, we're going to leave the Formula 1 until Shane is in tomorrow because there's too much to get through. Like, um, somebody could easily have been killed. The, they didn't know who uh, what the story was at the end. The, the reigning world champion has, was like, oh, I didn't win, I didn't win, I didn't Did I win? Did I win? Very underwhelming. But we'll get to that tomorrow. It's not in the performance rankings today. Where are we starting? Uh, we're going to start uh, with Liverpool, yet again, who must be leading the way this season in appearances in the red. Uh, beaten. And, well, I think Jurgen Klopp himself admitted they are not in the title race and it's hard to see how they could be when you look at their results this season. Uh, despite beating Bournemouth 9-0 earlier in the season, they're now behind Bournemouth in the Premier League table. And it was all the same problems yesterday. It, it reminded me of watching Arsenal-Liverpool a lot over the past five or six seasons, but the roles were reversed in the way that Arsenal just cut Liverpool apart again and again and again. And I don't know how many uh, zooms you can do in on Trent Alexander-Arnold in 45 minutes, but a new record was definitely sent yesterday. Every time, every time something went wrong, uh, there was only one man that the TV cameras were looking for, uh, whether he was culpable or not. And for the first two goals, he was uh, certainly involved in them, but it's not getting any better. And despite the change in shape, uh, they don't look any more solid at the back. They're getting totally overrun in midfield. And some of their forward players aren't firing. Like Mo Salah just doesn't look like a player with any confidence right now. Luis Diaz uh, picked up what looked like a, a bad injury and Jurgen Klopp was really concerned after the game, left the stadium on crutches. Uh, so he, you know he's provided a bit of energy at the very least. Nunez did well yesterday, had chances, got himself a goal, uh, looked a real threat, didn't look like a striker lacking in confidence. And obviously Firmino's the real surprise of the season in that every time he plays he seems to be scoring and Jota did well. But it's it's behind that. It's... They just look so soft right now. And for a team like Arsenal, with all the confidence that they have, uh, it went exactly as you would have predicted if you didn't know the recent history of the two clubs. If you just looked at this season, it very much played out along four lines. Uh, like, is there any kind of fix that's available from a Liverpool perspective? Or is, there, is it now one of those seasons where they really have to hope that they go on a crazy run in the Champions League that somehow rescues the season? Possibly, or the goalkeeper pops up and scores a winner at some stage and you scrape through to the top four and uh, you reset. He'll have to come up with some sort of a fix. He's obviously decided to go with two in midfield. Like, can you play with two in midfield and the two be Jordan Henderson and Thiago? That, like, do they have the energy levels? Do they have the quick burst of speed that you need to get across and cut out a counter-attack? doesn't feel like it. Like it, it. It feels like both of them, uh, particularly Henderson, is, is really lacking that. And it was such a key cog of what Liverpool have done. Maybe he brings Fabinho back in again. Like, do you, could you play Salah through the middle a little bit more as just a, a number nine and play some off him? There's, there's things he can do and there's things he'll have to try and do, particularly if Trent Alexander-Arnold is injured as well. Uh, he's going to have to make quite a few alterations. Uh, but right now, it's very hard to see how they turn this around considering next Sunday... They play Manchester City at Anfield. Uh, you know, so um, how bad does it get? Is it, this well, is like- think how bad it got the last time. And look, a lot of that was obviously down to injuries. Uh, this time, it, again, it feels like it's 
a, a sort of total systems failure that the same things are happening again and again and I do think it's down to the midfield I do think when you look at Liverpool the signing of Thiago changed everything about the way that they played that suddenly they were a lot more possession based they weren't totally reliant on turnovers and you could argue that maybe they played some of their best football ever under Jurgen Klopp since Thiago has come to the club but the problem is nobody else can do what he can do when they have a three-man midfield. Nobody else can control a game the way he can. And he's always injured. Uh, so it seems a bit of cons- inconsistency in there. They don't have the energy. They don't have Fabinho and Henderson have been able to protect the full-backs the way they once were. And they need to look at what they did over the course of the summer. Like Darren Nunes may go on to be a success. He may go on and score you know, 15 goals this season, which will probably be a uh, success, uh, albeit uh, in the shadow of what Erling Haaland is doing. But midfield was where they needed reinforcements. I still can't see Harvey Elliott being a midfielder in a Jurgen Klopp team. Like, he's brilliantly talented. You could see a place for him in the front three, like Fabio Carvalho, the exact same thing. But they're too light. They don't have the tenacity of a Vinaldum, uh, Fabinho, Henderson midfield of Liverpool at their absolute best. So I'm not sure in the short term what they can do. They should have gone and invested in the summer. They should have gone and maybe they tried with Jude Bellingham at the time. Vibes seem to be that maybe Bellingham has passed them at this stage in terms of the transfer fee that they'll look for. But Liverpool, the reason they got to the next level was they went and they signed one of the best goalkeepers in the world. They signed the best centre-half in the world. They spent an enormous amount of money on Tudum. And they had a manager who we know can make players better. Yeah. There's no no bit here where in your, you know, the, the, the Klopp, Relationship gets to a point where he's like, okay, I've, I've done amazing things here. I'm going to go and try and find something else to do. I think that watching the game yesterday, <laughs> that is there, it felt so calamitous at times that every time Arsenal came forward, you're like, how, how can they be this poor so quickly? And the club has tried something else. He has changed the system over the past week. And all right, they, they beat Rangers and it was a fine performance. But Arsenal were at a totally different level to Liverpool yesterday. And you know he was out during the week saying it's it's not like Borussia Dortmund, it's not like Mines. There's a very different scenario here. Yeah. The players leaving were in a far stronger position, and you have to trust that you know he's been able you know, to turn it around before. After they had that disastrous season a couple of years ago, they went incredibly close last season. Uh, and I don't think anyone in their right mind will be calling uh, for Jurgen Klopp. No, it's the opposite though. He might just get fed up with it. Yeah, the one thing it, it did feel a little bit this year like. Um, that Liverpool, like beating Liverpool, you can't say that Arsenal are. After the game that Arsenal lost against Manchester United, in fairness to you, you said are they showed loads. You know, stick with them. This isn't the same Arsenal anymore. And I would, I think that you were probably on balance, right? But I'm still, I still think beating Liverpool in the manner in which they did isn't the amazing thing that it would have been this time last year, or you know, when Liverpool were at their peak. Liverpool are like one of those prize fighters who are a little bit shot and looked great on your record, but actually when you look at it, not really that big a deal anymore because loads of teams are actually going to beat Liverpool this season or will score three times against them and maybe end up drawing three all. So, um, now, they've only lost two games all season in uh, the Premier League, but they're not winning games and they've only won two. And even if you think Ten of points two, from eight games. Even if you think of the two games they won, obviously Bournemouth is a 9-0 spectacular performance, but Bournemouth obviously capitulate completely in that. And the other one is the Newcastle game where they score literally the last kick of the game with Fabio Carvalho and Newcastle could just as easily have gone and won that game. And for Ar- Listen, for Arsenal, I think it's important because uh, they've had so many tough days against Liverpool. Again, Arsenal were a team that Liverpool would have looked at and thought, yeah. their weaknesses are exactly what we will expose. And they did it again and again and again through Salah and Mane. Whereas Arsenal, yes, they would have looked at Liverpool and thought, like, down the wing, like Martinelli, 
from the first second. And, and that, like, that has to be a criticism of Klopp that everyone watches Arsenal this season and knows how good Martinelli is. Yeah, how do, do something him, about it. How do you let him get in behind well, inside the first minute of the game? Yeah, all right. Uh, good win for Arsenal yesterday. I'm looking forward for another week of ignoring them, says Bamba Sonicas. Uh, no, no, we're going we're gonna to talk a lot about Arsenal now, it turns out. Um, Michael says Klopp has lost his magic. Uh, they'll most definitely lose to City this weekend, leaving them in the bottom half of the table mid-October. This team is now not good enough anymore, says Mixters. And uh, then the rest of them are coming in at the moment about the Ireland thing. Sorry, morning lads. I think we'll do all right in the Euros. How does Nathan feel about Liverpool's relegation fight? Can they survive? They should, they should just be able. Enough, uh, too big to go down. Too big to fail. All right, let's move on. Because the other thing that happened over the weekend was the inconsistencies in VAR. I don't know are they inconsistent or not. Or is this just... Like, it seems like the handballs in particular are inconsistent yesterday. Well... There's a, so there's a couple of different things going on with VAR. I should try my Dermot Gallagher Irish accent uh, right now where um, I have a different voice when I'm talking to the Irish people as opposed to speaking to the Sky Sports audience. I actually saw Dermot Gallagher walking into Hamden Park the night of the Ireland-Glasgow game, walking into the Ireland section, goes to all the games. Yeah. What a man. Uh, so the Gabrielle one like, has to be a handball. It's a clear penalty. The second you see the replay, in and what real happens, time... What happens if that is... And like, what happens if Liverpool... Well, that, that, like, there's a few decisions because the... Gabriel Je- Thiago foul on Gabriel Jesus. If the referee doesn't give that in real time, I don't think there's any way VAR overturn it and give the penalty. Uh, they obviously felt that you know it, it wasn't a clear and obvious error, and that there was enough contact on Gabriel Jesus for it to be a penalty. But Gabriel, every time you see that, it's a penalty kick. His arm is up. Is it in a natural position? Maybe when you jump in, there's a little bit. He's very close to the player when the ball smashes off his arm. But you're going to see 20 of those given this season. Uh, it's an important time in the game. And, yeah, it's just so frustrating with VAR because you have no idea what they're going to give. I watched, I was commentating on Crystal Palace Leeds yesterday. You know, there's uh, Decore, the Palace midfielder, gets booked early on. He goes in with a really rash challenge. Like, he has to be sent off. It's a second, clear second yellow card, almost like a Jason Malone. The referee goes, as a look, sees as it is. No, you're fine. Like, VAR have to intervene here and say, like, there's a bit of a lunge here. You have to send him off. And they don't in that case, so, no. Palace go on and come back and they win the game. Uh, the other one is the Marcus Rashford incident, which uh, I don't think would have been too controversial, only for what happened with Mikel Antonio. So this is, both of them were in a similar spot. They're cutting in from the left-hand side. The ball bobbles up and it hits them on the arm. Uh, Antonio's quite clear. He, he almost goes in like this and he's cradling the ball. Uh, and bizarrely, they decided that that wasn't a handball and uh, he went through and he scored to make it 3-1 to West Ham. Marcus Rashford, he puts United 3-1 up, he thought. Uh, the replays look a little bit inconclusive. It might hit the side of his chest. There's another angle where it does look as though it brushes off his arm. Like, that one's straightforward. It doesn't even really need VAR once they have a quick look at it because the rule is very simple. If the goal scorer, if the ball hits his arm at all, accidental or intentional, the goal is ruled out. I couldn't it's, see. I couldn't see any footage. I, like, so you say there is footage from one side where where Rashford. It's clear there's a handball. I actually couldn't see it, but um, you know. So if the debate, sorry, if there's a debate about whether he handles it, well, that's for VAR. But if we assume that he, that did he handle does it, handle it, or that it it's comes an off automatic, his hands. yeah, no, uh, fair enough. Cancellation of the goal, but how it doesn't happen with Mikel Antonio? Yeah, where it's clear as day. Yeah, like, you don't have no, to think about these things. Yeah. All right. So it, yeah, it's, we should stop thinking about it. VAR. It hasn't really been the, the breakthrough, the, the moment of human progress that we thought it would be. What about Cristiano Ronaldo's finish? Casemiro's pass for Cristiano Ronaldo's finish. Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, Ronaldo, um, listen, there's parts of his game. You can, you can tell every so often he goes, press, press, I must press. 
but when he was on the ball, like some of his little step overs at times, you know, there's still still a few little bits there from Cristiano Ronaldo you can get behind. Ireland's Euros draw is in the amber. Um, it says here, nightmare, but great games. That's from Colm. Uh, this should really be in the red, except unless you're Roddy or Dunphy, you're putting it in the green. Great draw. They're saying, great draw. Just shows the sort of pessimists we are. It shows... Uh well, I was, I was all thinking I'm going to have a, a good nightmare, but great game. Is that where we are? Is that where we are now? As a footballing backwater, we're just happy that Kylian Mbappe is going to grace our shores. It doesn't matter if we win or lose, as long as Kylian Mbappe comes and sells out the Viva. Oh, Virgil Van Dijk, thank you, thank you for coming to Lansdowne Road and selling all those season tickets. Uh, it is a nightmare draw. I can understand the angle of well, actually, there's not going to be any huge expectation around these games for Ireland. It's going to come down to beating Gibraltar twice and then beating Greece twice and hoping you can nick something off those four games. Are we going to beat Greece twice? beat each other. No, uh, listen, I'd imagine in Athens this morning they're saying... Beat Ireland twice. Fourth seeds and we've got Ireland as third seeds. Great opportunity for us here. Uh, it's a very, very difficult draw and the, the disappointment is that you're looking at it straight away going, we're going to be reliant on a playoff. Playoff isn't 100% guaranteed to the way it was last time round. And, in fact, the way the draw has gone, where a lot of the better teams are all on the same side, uh, could give others an opportunity as lower seeds to qualify, which would uh, potentially have a knock-on effect for Ireland. I still think it's likely that Ireland will end up in a playoff. Uh, but Ireland have played well against the better teams. That's we the don't know one, that's what the one. France and the Netherlands, yeah. if it is France uh, next March in the first game, uh, players will have just come through a World Cup straight back into the Premier League, played an awful lot of football. Because they just flip it so that we're away in Paris and in that but We don't know game. if Ireland is the issue. So the reason UEFA come out to say there's a problem in one group and uh, trying to find details yesterday evening seemed to be talked that it was in one of the other groups that there was a problem, but because of the TV deal and them having to ensure that the better teams don't all play in the same night, that that may have a knock-on effect. Now, it seems mad that they would change several of the groups just for one group. Uh, but yeah, hold your horses in terms of booking flights, and maybe they do a swap uh, for Ireland and France. Uh, but the fact that it's the night before, there's a lot of people who are going to be going over to France for this match and not returning home for several weeks. I suspect uh, <laughs> Ireland are going to be playing the rugby straight away. Several weeks. That, that would be a good. You trip. do the full tour. You do the full. Yeah. Straight down to Bordeaux. Yeah, it's very nice. On to Nantes. Bordeaux back up very, to Paris. very, very, very expensive. Bordeaux. Very expensive. Yeah. Very expensive. So. Um, Nantes, yeah, listen, surprisingly nice city. It, I haven't been to Nantes. Yeah, Bordeaux, Bordeaux was very, very nice when we were there for the uh, Belgium game. Result, not, not so good. Um, if you were sitting down yesterday morning and going, the usual, good draw, bad draw. Like, this was the bad draw. Yeah. This was the bad draw. I do think it's important that we play well against the good teams. That, like, we shouldn't forget that. Uh, yeah, it is. And you could end up in... And listen, both of these sides you know, have, as we know, the ability to implode at a certain stage. And I think that's the hope that you, if you were to pick up a point against France early on, then the Dutch were to go and beat them. But the key thing is that you have to win your four games against Greece and Gibraltar to have any chance of finishing in the top two. And remember, uh, Nations League comes back to bite us in the ass again. Nothing that happens after that. If Ireland don't finish in the top two, if they finish third or if they finish fifth, makes no difference to whether Ireland get a playoff. Sure. 
It'll make a lot of difference towards the psychological well-being of the the nation oh, state, the mood music, and um, and even Kenny. and rankings in the future as well. The Dutch are beatable. I fancy us to do them at home, says Chris Kyle. Hi, uh, you're incredibly excited for our Euro 2024 group. As I feel after the improvements in Ireland's play and another season of football for our young guns, we will cause some upsets. Coy big, says James McCullough, and Patrick McHugh says horrific Euro qualifying draw. Is this going to be how Kenny is judged? Ye at OTB have been saying this all year. I'm a Kenny man. But he's up against it now. He is up against it. No, absolutely. And I think we can all make a case for Ireland getting better and, as you say, performing against the better sides. But if you're just to look at it on paper and the talent that is in that Dutch squad and that is in that French squad, I think whatever team was the third seed in that group was going to struggle. Was going to struggle. But there is a way. Again, there's. We know the way Irish football works. There's a way of way of winning, a way of losing. Uh, And Stephen Kenny needs to find the the balance. Okay, Connacht. Yes. New 4G pitch, free from the, the wind and the, the rain and the weather. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. But They're uh, back. They're back. Uh, first win of the season. They had a really tough start of the season, really tough fixture list as well at the start of the season. Uh, beat Munster at the sports ground on Friday night, 20 points to 11 um, by all accounts. Uh, that was probably the, as close as it could have been because Connacht were by far and away the better side. Uh, somehow found themselves behind at half time. 8-5 when they should have been well, well clear. Uh, missed several chances to get into an early lead. Gave Munster an opportunity, but just about grounded out at the end. Uh, Finlay Bielham was man of the match. Mac Hansen got himself a try as well. Huge performances from them. Bielham, probably enough in that, albeit a year away, to make sure he's in that Ireland squad as Ty Furlong's backup for the World Cup. Uh, Mac Hansen is obviously going to be right in contention for a starting place. Jack Carty had a funny old day in that he was brilliant in open play, uh, but missed three kicks, two conversions and a penalty. Conversion right in front of the post, hit the post, uh, three from three. And unfortunately, as obviously as a kicker, uh, <laughs> that's the thing you're going to home in on. And uh, Fitzgerald came on then and took the last couple and kicked them uh, to give Connacht at least a bit of uh, breathing space. So you do wonder if it would actually be in Jack Carty's best interest long-term if somebody else took the kicks, because probably in open play he is right in the mix to be in that World Cup squad. Uh, but yeah, as you say, Connacht, a very difficult start, and in fact they're not in the Champions Cup this year. We know the Champions Cup qualification for next year is very difficult, as it will quickly become for Munster. So somebody analysing today, you probably need maybe 10 wins to get Champions Cup qualification this season. It's a lot of wins, they've got to get, start getting some of them. Like both these sides got to start getting some of them. Um, Connacht play Leinster uh, at the weekend, and then it's Leinster Munster the following weekend. But as you say, uh, as a big crowd and go away, they've got their new pitch. Uh, maybe they can turn it into a bit of a fortress. You win almost all your home games, you're going to start getting close uh, to that 10. But uh, Quinney's going to be with us in a while. Munster's yeah. probably, again, almost the bigger story. Yeah, uh, other great performances from Ulster and from Leinster in. Uh, topsy-turvy seesaw game where Sexton was right in the middle of everything including the flare-up at the end uh, he, he has started the season as somebody who is uh, enjoying every second of it we'll talk about that as I said with Quinny a little bit later on um, and then finally the last one Shamrock Rovers yes I was in Tala last night um, uh, speaking of Connacht it was very sports ground like conditions uh, the ball came back to Alan Manis the Rovers keeper in the first half and he Fired it forward, and the ball almost came right back to him. It was like a hurricane out there. And then the rain started with about half an hour to go. You could barely see what was going on out in the pitch. Uh, so Rovers have obviously been stumbling in recent weeks. They've been struggling to manage the workload of both Europe and the league. Uh, they went into last night's game two points clear 
of Derry uh, with a game in hand. And Derry are going to Tala on the penultimate night of the season. And suddenly they find themselves 1-0 down. They get back to 1-all, 2-1 down just before half-time. And real tough Shelburne side. Like very physical. It was a right niggly, scrappy game. Uh, Shells had played with the wind in the first half. So then you're thinking, well, now Rovers uh, have the wind. It was that strong. It was like right. a huge... Uh, Shells couldn't get out of their own half in the second half. Like you just, If you fired it forward, it was coming straight back at you. But it meant that they were just sticking as many men back behind the ball as they possibly could. Uh, Rovers grab an equaliser, and you think they're definitely going to go on and win. And oh, if they hadn't won this game, they had three chances in pretty much injury time that flashed across the goal. Aaron Green had two of them where he thought he has to score. It was going to be one of those agonising nights. And then Rory Gaffney, who I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up as Footballer of the Year in Ireland... Uh, scores this really good volley with the last kick of the game corner kick comes to him could it one of these you see people just smash at it flash it over the top of the crossbar side foots it keeper looks to be going the wrong way maybe he can get a stronger hand pams it onto the post into the back of the net uh, last moment five points clear four games remaining and gives them that bit of a cushion against Derry alright so uh, that is all we have in the oh no hang on a second there's one more there's an extra oh, one look yeah. look there's a second one there oh there you go look Congratulations. Oh, look. Wow, beautiful. That was taken, I'd say, pre-11 p.m. Your voice is a bit raspy. You were, you were on the cigars. That was, that was a bad idea. It's a good idea at the time. It's a bad idea the next morning. Thanks to whoever uh, gave me that cigar. That, there's always people organise at these awards. We're like, I just brought cigars for everybody who was going to win. Oh, it's a good idea. Very generous. Yeah. yeah. Uh, In fairness to myself and yourself, Jer, um, we showed our age. I think we were two of the more sensible people on the night. Yeah, exactly. Uh, tell me, what did you win it for? Uh, just all round brilliance, Jerry. I would say. Oh, but, hey, oh hey. boom! And uh, would you would you describe yourself as a humble winner? Uh, uh, of course, yeah. always. It's all yeah. about the team. Oh yeah, did you mention uh, the team once? It's all about uh, the team. Did you? It's all about the team. <laughs> Who's on your team, Nathan? Uh, team Nathan. Everybody is. Everybody's on my team. <laughs> um, I won it. What did I win it for? I won it for um, the interview I did with Stephen Kenny last year, right. where he came in and he spoke about his heart attack. So that was the main part of it. Uh, but it wasn't just me, Jerry. We should point out it was a clean sweep for off the yeah, ball. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. Other, other people won as well. I think didn't it they? was our first ever clean sweep. Was it for off the ball? At the I'm Euros? not sure. I think there might have been one in the past, but you I don't remember. Sports program of the year. And sports story of the year as well for our coverage of the Euro 2020 final. Yeah, very good. No room for anybody else, Jer. So OTB is in the green, not just you. Good, I, good I you to point that, that out there I eventually. Put that there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Sort of back me into a corner. The arm was twisted. All right, I can't believe yeah. it. Right, that is this week's Gillette Labs performance rankings. OTBAS performance rankings with Gillette. 